Reflecting on the first free presidential election in Afghanistan, following its liberation from the Taliban in 2002, George W. Bush writes in his book, Decision Points, When dawn broke, the world witnessed an amazing sight. Across the country, Afghans had lined up overnight, eager to vote. Across the country, turnout exceeded 8 million, nearly 80% of the voting age population. Every major ethnic and religious group participated, as did millions of women. The polls stayed open two extra hours to accommodate the huge crowds. I was pleased with the results, but not surprised. I believe the human desire for freedom is universal. History shows that when given the chance, people of every race and religion take extraordinary risks for liberty. And then after telling of meetings with Tony Blair before the invasion of Iraq, he writes, if we had to remove Saddam from power, Tony and I would have an obligation to help the Iraqi people replace Saddam's tyranny with a democracy. The transformation would have an impact beyond Iraq's borders. The Middle East was the center of a global ideological struggle. On one side were decent people who wanted to live in dignity and peace. On the other were extremists who sought to impose their radical views through violence and intimidation. They exploited conditions of hopelessness and repression to recruit and spread their ideology. The best way to protect our countries in the long run was to counter their dark vision with a more compelling alternative. That alternative was freedom. People who could choose their leaders at the ballot box would be less likely to turn to violence. Young people growing up with hope in the future would not search for meaning in the ideology of terror. Once liberty took root in one society, it could spread to others. Well, the world had seen that take place before in the democratization of Europe following the collapse of the Soviet Union. And it appears that we are seeing it happen again in the current revolutions taking place in the Middle East. The Jasmine Revolution in Tunisia was followed by the overthrow of Mubarak in Egypt and the current struggle to overthrow Gaddafi in Libya. And there's political unrest in Yemen, Bahrain, Jordan, and elsewhere. The desire for freedom is universal. But with freedom comes responsibilities. And not everyone who is seeking freedom understands the limits of freedom. Some seem to think that freedom gives them the right 
to do whatever they want. And the pursuit of freedom gives them the right to burn buildings, break into businesses, and go on looting rampages. So there are real dangers on the road to freedom. And we are all anxiously awaiting the outcome of the current political upheavals taking place in spite of our faith that God is in control. Ultimately, God's will will be done. But the freedom he allows in the political realm also makes possible times of ungodly oppression and persecution. So there are inherent dangers in political freedom. But there are inherent dangers in religious freedom as well. And the dangers of religious freedom were of even more concern to Paul than was the dangerous political situation under which he was living in the Roman Empire. Paul's concern about religious freedom, however, wasn't concern about religious freedom in general. It was concern about the misuse of our freedom in Christ. He began the fifth chapter of Galatians reminding us that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. And he opens our text for today with the words, For you were called to freedom, brethren. The freedom to which we've been called in Christ, however, is not blanket religious freedom. It's the freedom to come before God. Freedom from the penalty of sin. And freedom from the vain attempt to merit Salvation. In short, through Christ, we have been freed from sin, from its power and its penalty. But as Paul also makes very clear, being freed from sin does not mean we are free to sin. Christian freedom is not licensed to do Whatever we want. And this morning we're going to be reminded that we are not free to indulge, free to exploit, nor free to disregard. In order to draw those points out of our text, we're going to approach it a little differently than usual. We're going to read it in its entirety and then go back looking for our points. Our text is Galatians 5, 13 through 15. For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care, lest you be consumed by one another. We begin by noting that in Christ, we are not free to indulge the flesh. We must not turn our freedom into an opportunity 
for the flesh. The word translated opportunity is a military term referring to the base of operation or the starting point where a battle begins. So Paul is saying that we cannot allow our freedom to become a place where the flesh launches an attack against the spirit. Now he's going to go on to deal at length with the struggle between the flesh and the spirit, between the deeds of the flesh and the deeds of the spirit. But for now, he's simply noting that we cannot allow freedom to become an excuse to turn the flesh loose to fulfill its lusts and desires. And when Paul speaks of the flesh here, he's referring to more than our physical body. He's referring to our fallen human nature. Our lower nature, a nature that has some pretty unsavory lusts and desires. Well, ignoring that fact, some insist that freedom demands the removal of all restraints. And that they have the right now to indulge every whim and desire. Or as they said in the 60s, to do their own thing. Or if it feels good, do it. That may be the world's idea of freedom, but it's not God's. He knows better. A horse turned loose in a granary will founder, will eat itself to death. And God knows we'd do the same if all restraints were removed. We would destroy ourselves physically and spiritually. So freedom in Christ is not unrestrained liberty to wallow in selfishness. It's not moral and spiritual anarchy. It's not a pretext for self-indulgence. And we realize that. Before we could experience freedom in Christ, we had to die to self. And as Paul will remind us before the end of this chapter, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Through Christ, we've gained the ability to control the flesh, to bring it into check, to rein it in. We've been freed from bondage to sin and self. From the addictive need to indulge self for some kind of short-lived satisfaction. And make no mistake, that's all you get with self-centered hedonism. The, the playboy philosophy of pleasing yourself. A lifestyle of unrestrained freedom. Christ didn't die to give us unrestrained freedom. Or to free us to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season. In spite of what we see taking place every day on the news, we are not allowed to use freedom as a covering for evil. Peter makes that very clear in 1 Peter 2.16. And it's foolish to even try. Why seek the fleeting satisfaction of indulging the flesh when Christ offers the lasting satisfaction that comes from having been freed from bondage of sin and given the power to do that which is right? 
Christian freedom is not the freedom to indulge ourselves physically or spiritually. We're not free to indulge. We're not free to exploit. Paul says we must not turn our freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love we are to serve one another. We are to love our neighbor as ourself. Obviously, then, we are not free to exploit our neighbor, to take advantage of a weaker brother and capitalize on his failures and mistakes. Instead, Paul says we are to use our freedom as an opportunity to serve one another, to render slave service to one another. Use our freedom to be a slave. And because of Christ, we can do that. We've been freed to serve. Our destiny is secure. And since we know where we're going and who is caring for us, we can concentrate on serving others. We don't have to be obsessed with ourselves and our needs. We've got someone else handling those details. So we can give ourselves to others. But why would we do that? Quite simply because love demands it. Have you ever taken a day off? A day of freedom? To serve someone? Of course you have. You know, not every free day is spent doing what we want, you know. Riding a motorcycle or fishing or shopping. At least some of our free days are spent on honeydew projects or taking the kids where they want to go or meeting someone's need. But why do we do those things? Love demands it. We do those things out of love. That's the reason we serve one another rather than exploit one another. And in Christ, we've been given the love needed to do those things, to serve one another. We can love our neighbor as ourselves because we are loved, because God has poured out his love on us and into us. Since we are loved we're free to invest our love in others. And we're not talking about emotional displays. We're talking about putting love into action. In Christ, we are freed from self so we can serve others. Rather than free us from obligations, our freedom in Christ deepens our obligations to others. We can't hoard God's love. We must share it. And what if we don't? What if we turn God's love inward and use it as an excuse to indulge ourselves at our neighbor's expense? Quite frankly, we become like animals, biting and devouring one another. And Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, take care lest you be consumed by one another. If 
like fighting animals, we bite and devour one another, we may very well end up consuming one another. And how might we bite and devour one another? Well, the Aramaic word for eat the pieces of is often translated criticize. We devour each other through vicious criticism. If we attack each other verbally, we end up consuming each other. If we use our freedom in Christ as license to say whatever we want or to do whatever we want, we'll end up destroying ourselves and each other. We've not been freed to exploit each other's weaknesses like predatory animals. We've been freed to serve each other, to love one another, and in doing so, to fulfill the law. Obviously, therefore, we are not free to disregard the law. Now, Paul reminds us that the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The word translated fulfilled also means summed up. The whole law is contained in this statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that doesn't mean love replaces the law. Now, the numerality of the 60s said love superseded the law. That if love demanded it, you could disobey the law. The problem with that is knowing what the really loving thing is to do. What the long-term consequences of your actions might be. Only God knows that. He alone knows the long-term consequences of any action and has therefore declared that some things must never be done. And since God is love, any law originating from him is an expression of love. So if you love, you won't lie. You won't covet. You won't steal. And since God's law defines love, it cannot be ignored even by Christians under the new covenant. You know, we don't merit our salvation through the law, but it is still the ethical guide for our behavior. Just because we are not under the law doesn't mean we're free to lie, steal, murder, or commit adultery. Jesus didn't do away with the law. He fulfilled it. And he enables us to fulfill it through love. So if we love as he loves, we will do as the law instructs. And we'll do so because love compels us and enables us to do what the law alone could not get us to do. Love changes us. It motivates us. It compels us and enables us to treat our neighbor as Christ has treated us. 
So it's not wrong for us to live by the Ten Commandments. We're not earning our salvation through them, but they do serve as a guide for our behavior. They define God's will for us. They define love. They teach us how to relate to one another. So freedom in Christ is not freedom to sin. It's not freedom to indulge self, to exploit others, or to disregard the law. It's the freedom to come out of bondage to self. It's the freedom to give ourselves to others. And it's the freedom to love others as he loves us. It's the freedom to come out of sin and in to him. This is probably, hopefully, nothing new for you to hear today. Maybe you've heard it a little differently. And you'll act upon it. Let's stand and sing.